this week on Northwest Nerd. The issue with in the indie scene, what ends up happening is you come to a show, and I'm sure you've seen this, where there'll be an entire slew of new people getting a comic book out. And they got this big thing they're passionate about. And then the next year, three quarters of them are gone and replaced with another batch of people. People like me who are there every year are rare because we're at the bottom. We have to be twice as good as the best comic book coming out of Marvel or DC. Hi there, I'm pop culture journalist Dyer Oxley. Say hello to Woody Arnold. He's an experienced indie comic creator. And, you know, actually, if you attend any of the plethora of cons around the Northwest, chances are you've you've already met Woody. He's a pretty regular vendor around this region. That's how I met him. He's helmed a few comic book projects currently. He's hyping Cyber Symbiosis, a cyberpunk story, and a whole lot more, actually. He's going to explain that in a second, but I actually had an ulterior motive in getting Woody on this podcast. You know, partially because I have personally gone through a self-publishing project of my own, and partially because I've seen a lot of indie comics around at cons. I know there are a lot of DIY indie hopefuls out there, maybe people with an idea, but perhaps they don't know exactly where to take it. So I should say, actually, I found that everybody's story and projects, they're a little bit different, unique to every individual, but it is very helpful to hear other people's experiences, what they have gone through, mistakes they've made and their triumphs. Woody is a good example of this. Not just his experience in general, but what I find a bit impressive is his willingness to adapt to the changes thrown his way take his journey and perhaps draw some insights that might relate to you. Or maybe they don't. That can also be just as helpful. Cyber Symbiosis has a Kickstarter that is currently underway if you are listening as this podcast is initially published. Still a couple weeks left in that, so go check that out. And just one more thing before we get started here. Stick around after this interview. I have a brand new segment for Northwest Nerd fans. It's something that I like to call random fandom all right let's jump into woody's story recorded live at renton city retro i don't know exactly when it started but i I was in love with comic books since i was a kid it's a thing i've kind of always wanted to do Mm -hmm. um but i think the part where i got really fired up about it was when i was i came out of a movie at the at the SeaTac Mall uh, in um, in Federal Way, and walked into the old Walden Books, and I found a copy of X Men 275 on the rack, and that particular issue is what really got me going to the point where I'm like, I really want to, you know, I got really serious about comics. Okay, so for those who aren't as into the, the nerd niche, what is X Men 275? Well, it it was the first X Men comic book I bought, but <laughs> but it, it, it it was the one where like I went from being like, okay, I like Transformers, so I buy the Transformers comics to oh, I'm really taking the comic book medium seriously. Okay. And, and it, it, it was one of the last issues that Jim Lee ever did. Oh, okay. And, and it was noteworthy for having, like, a trifold cover. And um, got so, like, was so fascinated and so enraptured with the story, I had to know how they got there. So I just started collecting X-Men comics going back in time to try to figure out, you know, how it came to be. So that's comic collecting, but at some point you're making comics. So what yeah. made you want to make a comic book? Well, I always wanted to, uh, but there was kind of a problem where, like, my early forays into it were kind of shut down by by the uh, technological limitations of the time. 
because what do you mean well it used to be that if you were going to be the writer or the artist or something and ultimately it came down to pulling the trigger on like you know a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars for a print run right yeah and I, I i couldn't do that right how many copies would you get for two thousand dollars i'm not sure at the time it was in definitely going to be in the hundreds oh wow but the thing was was that we didn't have print on demand and so you were going to commit to a massive print run that might not sell yeah right and a creator's first book usually isn't very good because they don't know what they're doing yet. Right. And that's just the hard reality of, uh, of it. So you have to have something to cut your teeth on. Well, it's, it's the classic practice makes perfect. Just keep doing it. I mean, yeah. if you, I don't want to tell folks to listen to the early episodes of this, of this very podcast. Right. But when I was, when I was making the transition from newspaper to audio, yeah. I mean, there was, there was some stumbling going right. on there. Right. I imagine it's the same way with any art form. Yeah and, yeah, and there was a point when I was working on a comic book with a guy. He got me to write it. Um, he really liked what I was doing. But when it came down to, I mean, I, I, hate, I hate to admit it, but the reality was when it came down to, like, the reality of what it took to make it happen in physical, like a physical universe, I, I got scared off, right? Yeah. Because I just wasn't making enough money to be able to afford something like that. And right. And it, it was terrifying at the time. And that, that's, that's the problem was, is, like, you, back in the 80s or the 90s, the expense of doing it on the indie scene was staggering. I, I think that the guys that did the Ninja Turtles, I think there was like, you know, they had to take out loans, you know, in order to do that. They didn't have that money. And right. they had lightning in the bottle, but, you know, not everybody does. And so, but somewhere along the line um, in the 2000s, uh, early 2000s, uh, the print-on-demand market came, came into existence, right? And it became uh, feasible to, at, at an economic rate, to buy just one comic book. Right. So you, you can put all this all this effort and expense in and not have to have this massive uh, bill. You could buy a dozen comics, you could buy 50 or 100, but it was at an affordable level and all of a sudden the technology caught up with with right. creativity. Unfortunately, now everybody can do that. So now you have more competition. <laughs> so now you have to wait a little bit longer. Well, well yeah, you have to be that much more like you have to be that that much better. Yeah. Or you have to do something to stand out in amongst the sea of mediocrity. Right. You know, and, and I don't mean to say that rude, but, you know, you take 100 indie comics side by side and only a few of them are going to be really good. Yeah. And and not everybody is really polished in, in what they're doing. Speaking from the podcast world, I very much understand what you're saying. Yeah. Sorry, I'm making somebody angry out there right yeah. now. So the the issue with in the indie scene uh, where I'm at in it, right, is that I'm, I'm not at the bottom. I'm kind of like somewhere in the, in the middle. But yeah. what ends up happening is you come to a show, and I'm sure you've seen this, where there'll be an entire slew of new people getting a comic book out, right? Yeah. And they got this big thing they're passionate about. And then the next year, three quarters of them are gone and replaced with another batch of people. Yeah. Right? And so people like me who are there every year are rare. There's only a few of us that do that. And we're all kind of like, hey, man, you know, we, got, we, get, we all kind of like represent kind of like a tight-knit local kind of club. But, but like every year there's always somebody new. That, show, that shows up, it's got a big plan for a book, and you're not going to see them next year. And, and you flip through their book, and they might have some good ideas. They either don't have the, the energy to follow through, or they aren't, aren't able to confront the expense and time investment, or the book's just not good. And, yeah. and, and you see that a lot where it takes like the professionalism and the training experience it needed to, be, to deliver a, a professional-level product is not everybody is up to that either. And, and, I, and I know a guy that told me one time that because we're at the bottom, we have to be twice as good as the best comic book coming out of Marvel or DC. Right. Because we don't have the luxury of being institutionalized. Yeah. You know. 
Well, I mean, it does take a lot of legwork. I mean, just speaking as somebody who does audio, somebody who now does a, a magazine that we will see how yeah. people respond to it. But uh, it's it's a it's not as easy as just saying, hey, I want to kind of do it or just figuring it out. Yeah. There's there's a lot of legwork and energy and lost sleep that goes into oh, yeah. it. I have always associated you with doing a handful of kind of independent comics at this point, but how many have you actually uh, put out independently or, or even have just been part of to help out? Okay, well, see, I've actually got a very deep library of experience, and some yeah. of my earlier stuff, it, some of it failed, you know, be, because of just, like, I, I had to do my, my learning, too. And some of the books I worked on early, I, I really wish that wasn't the one I failed on. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, there, there's a few that I was quite passionate about, but, like, uh, let's see. My actual issue count... Just including, you know, web content. Um, I've got ten, 10 books on my current Cyber Symbiosis series. Okay. Which uh, we've got like five issues in the main story, five issues in a uh, in, in like a like a side story, which which is almost uh, almost done being produced. And then we've got two issues deep into the other main book, which are, you know, the entire series was meant to be an anthology. Yeah. From the get go, so it's like, you know, so I've I've got um, 12 issues in the can at least on that series. Uh, I did. Uh, two issues of a book called Countermay, but but only the one the first one could ever be released. Yeah. So the artwork for that will just kind of trickle out in some other capacity. Uh, I I did uh, some books for um, for for web series. So I've got uh, a comic book I did for Voice Trackers. I got a comic book I did uh, for um, uh, for a series called the Standard Action. Uh, I did a six issue uh, graphic novel called uh, counter uh, uh, Anunnaki based on the ancient aliens theory that okay. was actually that that, that, that that was my first book um, for all of us Stargate fans out there that yeah exactly that, yeah. Uh, and and the guy the guy uh, Harrison Wood that I created that with uh, has passed away okay. so you know uh, talented artist um, so I uh, I hope wherever he is now he's, uh, he's still drawing and um, and then I did 15 issues of a, of a web comic I created that was like a screen capture comic which was uh, based upon a um, the gamers film franchise, kind of a mashup with Gamers and Journey Quest. Uh, if you're a fan and you read the comic, it's called Gamers Alterations. Y- y- you'll get the joke. Okay. But, and I made you more of that. Um, and I also did a and I got a bunch of other like little things. Like it, it as you can tell, my I, I've done a lot. <laughs> so really quick, elevator speech style. What is the comic that you are promoting right now? Well, my main comic book is Cyber Symbiosis. Mm-hmm. And so my standard sales pitch that I, that I say a thousand times at the show takes place in an alternate sci-fi future in the year 2216. And it's focused on a group of professional criminals who end up taking the wrong job and are framed for murder. So it's a story where the bad guys have to get together and take out the real bad guy. Um, that's kind of my elevator pitch. But I also like to say that I, I like to compare them more to the crew of the Firefly because I don't like okay. writing about scumbags. So they're more of like the lovable rogues okay. that end up, um, you know, like like they're out there kind of like having like, you know, their mercenary con man group. They're out there doing, you know, trying to like find uh, ways to kind of help out the little guy or, you know, um, you, know t- you know, work against really bad people. But like somehow making money, you know, below the radar. And then somewhere along the line, they end up kind of like biting off more than they could chew. Okay. And so right on. I don't really want to say more than that, but like it's. You, know, the, you, you have to pick it up or yeah. you have to get one of these USB copies that right. I got well, from you today. Yeah, that's actually the problem that kind of started this interview is that right now we're in a paper shortage. All right. This is what I this is one of the main points I want to talk to you about, because yeah. I went through a little bit of this issue myself trying to get Northwest Nerd magazine printed. Yeah. 
but I feel like you had a little bit more severe issue on your end. Yeah. Okay, paper short. What exactly are the hurdles you are dealing with now as okay. far as printing? So the issue we're basically facing is, is that the big publishing companies um, have no problem getting paper, right? Yeah. But the smaller companies cannot get, get, get the paper, right? It's the same thing as when there was an aluminum shortage. Coca-Cola had all the aluminum, but the smaller bottlers couldn't get bottle caps. Yeah. So we were running out of like Mexican Coke and 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 like uh, like the good San, Coke. San Pellegrino could, could could couldn't get couldn't make their drinks. Yeah. Right. So we're running in the same problem where um, my printer uh, they do a print on demand, really solid company, very reliable. The thing is, is that they've had to have their first price increase in ten years because they can't get paper. Right. They've having to run all over town getting the wrong paper getting it at a higher price than they're used to paying and they can't keep up with the demand from us so it, like it took me three months just to get the review copy of my graphic novel wow and that's all i've never been able to get out of them it's, it seems like there's a couple phases of disruptions we had initial pandemic disruptions yeah then we had like lingering supply chain disruptions and then we had another lingering supply chain disruption and this has been anybody who's tried to get like toys to mm -hmm. uh any just random thing diapers, that you never would think about diapers and all yeah. that so when did when were you dealing with this paper sugar was it right when the pandemic started or um, was it like oh i'm gonna do this in 2021 and now everything's slow i think it took a while for the paper shortage to kick in actually because okay. it in deep into the pandemic we were still able to get orders just fine um, you know, I, I, I did a major order to show up my show up my inventory because yeah. I need to be able to sell like I've got five issues to sell. I need to have all five of them. So I had to buy some extra books. And now I wish I'd bought more because um, somewhere along the line, the inventory of the paper in the country got depleted. I'm not actually entirely sure where the supply chain issue is, but it's could be in manufacturing. It could be in delivery. But the people who are the print, it, it's so it's so, such a big deal that we were looking for other printers potentially to look at. The, right there on top of the website, they're saying we have paper. Like they are advertising their paper supply. Wow! But it's too expensive. I, I'm kind of curious. You found a remedy of your own. Yeah. And um, you do web magazines. However, I'm now looking at a USB here that says Cyber Symbiosis yes. on it. <laughs> yes, okay. Yes, so tell me through the thought process there, because this okay. is your solution. Well, your magazine, you have a real advantage because you can actually sell advertising space. Right. Right. And that advertising space. My knowledge of the publishing company, publishing business, I know that that advertising can cover the entire print run. That's the idea. So yeah, if anybody's listening possible. out there and wants to advertise with Northwest Nerd Magazine, yeah, exactly. Please call do. me up, um, please. Well, well, because like if 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 the funny thing, like you look at a pick up a People magazine, right? What I was surprised to learn is that that magazine is actually paid for. It doesn't matter if people buy it, yeah, because the advertising covers the whole thing. I can't do that because I'm just an indie comic and I don't have the circulation to justify an advertising, you know, yeah. space. And, and, but even if I did, the additional pages you add on to the book could offset the advertising. Like, it, it wouldn't pay me anything to advertise because I'm, all I'm doing is probably paying for the extra pages. Right. Right. So, you should do the classic thing in your comic book where, like, there's, a, there's like, a, like a wheat kid at the beach and somebody kicks sand in his face. <laughs> and then he goes and he works out with Atlas. Well, it, and then it, he comes back and then he's a bully now. Well, it, it's funny you said that because we actually have a gag page in, uh, somewhere where, like, <laughs> where, where one of the characters is hitting on girls. And, oh, and no. then, they, and then they, they, they won't go for it. So he hands them some fruit pies. And then they immediately fall in love with him. Mar Marvel did that back in the day. They were amazing. So, so your solution is, is, is let's get digital. some USBs. Go right. digital. So, yeah, so what the, that was the only solution, actually. Um, okay. So what, what, what I did is I bought a, a bulk order of 100 little like flash drives, the smallest quantity you could get. Uh, they were a buck 78 uh, nice. each. 
when, when, when you factor in, you know, shipping and cost and everything. So, um, and you know, it's, it's going to be different probably next time I buy them. But, so I loaded the graphic novel onto there, right? And then the graphic novel has like more stuff that wasn't in the online release or the original issues, right? So we've got like 14 extra pages of story. Um, we're developing a role-playing game, which we can talk about in a minute, but I've yeah. got 14 pages of RPG content compatible with 5th edition. Okay. So you can, you can get the character stats for our main heroes. Uh, I was able to add in the cover gallery, which I could not have done um, with my regular printer. And, um, and you, know, we, uh, we, you know, we threw in some stickers and, and uh, we're doing a, little few, a couple other incentives. But what was nice about this is it got me, I was able to bring the price down below what, what the graphic novel would have sold for. Right. Yeah. So as it stands right now, I would have had no choice but to sell it for $35. Oh, wow. With, with the way that the pricing is going, which is honestly is probably consistent with what Marvel and DC are doing. But because yeah. um, their, their books are way overpriced. But how <laughs> how has the response been to the to the really USB? good. I've only had two people that that, that wouldn't go for it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, that right they on. wanted the book. Um, yeah, so I'm selling this for the same price as five issues of my book. No, no, because you also do this digitally. So I mean, you have a USB that you can you can throw out there for folks. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you also throw it online? Or? Yeah, it, all my books are online. Okay, yeah. Uh, but the USB has stuff that isn't online. I see. Okay. Right. So, so, so it's a little it, incentive. Yeah, so. exactly. So I wanted to give people more. But the thing was, is like when we were selling it at, at, the, at the last show, which I was really nervous, we had two people that just didn't go for it. And then a few other, couple of the people that wanted the, the comics. Yeah. And I only have some of the comics left and I can't replace them. So I got to make those last. Right. So I, I, I sold a few five packs of the comics. I sold as many of these things as I would have expected to sell at Emerald City Comic Con. Wow. Yeah, like I, I at, at the two days, was it a three-day show? Yeah, we were at, 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 at the Summer Con together. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so it was, like, it was three days, basically two and a half days, right? I did the same sales as I would have done at a four-day show at Emerald City Comic Con. That's some adaptation. Yeah. Okay, so since you brought it up, let's switch gears. The next phase of this, comic book to digital, and now role-playing yes. game. Yes, uh, this is a cyberpunk story. There's a lot of cyberpunk role-playing games out there. There's two that are really big. And, yeah. um, you know, you end up playing in the same sandbox, and a lot of things look very similar. So my, my comic book often gets compared to uh, another you know, popular role-playing game, but it's... That shall not be named. Not that, well, I, I, yeah, no, yeah. that's fine. But, but, it's, but it's like, the thing is, is like I'm doing something very different, right? Right. Because in a lot of these cyberpunk role-playing games, most, most of the time you're playing a piece of character and you're a thief and it's like what are we going to steal this week right Gr granted you, you've got kind of a roguey con artist team you know in my book too so I'm you know, again we're playing in the same sandbox but like the thing is that I was looking at is it's like when you look at the cyberpunk genre what are the top shelf brands you got Ghost in the Shell you've got um, uh, you, you have Robocop yeah right we've got uh, you know Cowboy Bebop oh yeah right like you're looking at some of like the the things that we love in that genre right especially Ghost in the Shell and Robocop you know, what are you following? You're following the hero. Most of the time, you look at D&D &D or, or, you know, a, a superhero game like Heroes Unlimited or any kind of an adventure game, people invariably want to play the good guy. They want yeah. to be that heroic Even archetype. in Cowboy Bebop, yes. Yeah. They're the bounty hunters. Yes, they're rough and tough, but you, there's a heart behind what they're doing. Exactly. You know, you know like, like Spike's always, like, you know, helping right. people behind, you know, without, without telling people he's doing it because he, he wants to look cool. But I think that... In my universe, in my RPG, we can do something different because you can play characters that that that, that are you like. Yeah. Um, like in a lot of these games, like you know, if you want to do like a Ghost in the Shell, you want to play a cop, you want to play a secret agent. A lot of those things are kind of an afterthought. The game can do it, but it's an afterthought. And in this case, the whole game is built from the viewpoint of let's let's incorporate those elements from day one. 
And, but the other side of it too is, is you would not believe the scale of world building that went into building this universe. Yeah. Because be, be, before I even released the first issue, I'd already had a really solid idea of what the world was like and the history and how they got there. And most of that world building was never going to be seen. You know, kind of like with Tolkien, right? Yeah. And he, you know, he had to release the Silmarillion because like all the stuff that went behind the Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Right? And, and so at the very least, it gives me somewhere to put some of this stuff. And so um, I, I've been working on the RPG for about three years. And I think it's kind of funny, but COVID kind of created, it was almost a benefit for me. Time. Yeah, because it, it created opportunities to really devote myself to it that might not have been there. Yeah. Because we had a whole year off where we weren't doing cons. Yeah. Right. And so I had this time that I wouldn't normally have had. And um, like I've been running a playtest campaign with, with my own friends. I was looking at my phone here. We've got 62 episodes of that. And then um, some other side ones. I've been uh, collaborating with some other game groups, so I've had some other playtesting going on. And I actually wanted to give a plug to some friends who do an RPG show called Our Art of the Role, uh-huh. which uh, the, uh, the, the Game Master of the Florida, most of the, the people that are in the show are actors from Vancouver. And uh, they, they do a really entertaining show, and I'm going to be doing some collaboration with them coming up. So they, nice. they, 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 uh, they, they stream on Twitch. And then I also am occasionally doing collaborations with the um, Alexandria RPG Library, and we, we've, we've done a couple of uh, RPG streams set in the universe of my comic book series. When can folks actually expect to kind of see this? Okay, so, so, so the game itself, if all goes according to plan, <laughs> fingers crossed, uh, we should be able to have it, either a physical book or a digital book available for sale at Emerson League Comic Con next year. going to say this again i really do admire woody's ability to kind of pivot and adapt that is a skill unto itself all right next up you ready for this we all have some piece of pop culture that we hold dear maybe it's been lost to time it's salvaged mostly in our memories or maybe it's just this guilty pleasure something folks would not assume that you love a piece of beloved nostalgia whatever it is Northwest Nerd is collecting these treasures in a segment called Random Fandom. Random because of the pop culture we are discussing, or maybe it's just the people discussing it. And we're going to kick things off with Andrew from the Comic Dads. Uh, Actually, we're going to sort of kick it off with Andrew. Uh, This very first Random Fandom is very random. Northwest Nerd listeners are likely familiar with Egypt from the Comic Dads, um, and you may have noticed that Comic Dads is plural, there's more than one of them, such as Andrew, who lives out in Tennessee, but makes his way to our local conventions here in the Northwest. At SummerCon, I pulled him aside, but as you're going to hear, a random passerby, yeah, there's a lot of randoms in this, a random passerby couldn't resist and just had to comment, and I'm me, so I said, hey, get over here talking to this mic. And that is what led us to this conversation. For fandoms, I mean, I love everything 80s way too much. Like like A-Team, Airwolf, Magnum P.I. Like, Are you just saying that because I have Tom no, Selleck and Angela Lansbury like, directly like behind me right now? Me and my brother has been watching more of it, but I've been watching. Bouncing here and there and everywhere. Are you, are you right here? No, I oh. just have, I'm another vendor in the room. But. 
I want to talk to you. Bears. Bouncing here and there and everywhere. High adventure that's beyond compare. Right. They are the gummy bears. Gummy bears. It was so weird because it was kind of like Disney was like, well, we can't acquire the Smurfs franchise. Yeah. Can you do me a favor? Can you hold the mic? <laughs> do you oh, mind doing that? You do, you do yours. You what do is your name? <laughs> I'm Corey. Corey, and you're a vendor here at Washington yeah. State Summer Yeah, Summer I'm a vendor here. Okay. We were talking random fandom, and you just walked up, and you just had one right off right off the tip of your tongue. What was it? Uh, gummy Bears, an original Disney cartoon that you've never heard of. It's incredibly obscure. But from, like, the 80s? I think it was late 80s, early 90s, because I still watched it in the 90s, and it came on, like, before like tailspin and some of okay. the other interesting yes. one-off disney shows that never went beyond cartoons on tv okay so why did why is this one remembered so vividly in your well, mind yes the, the gentleman who, who remembered the the whole theme song over there the, 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 the it was good but i remember just watching it as a kid and i liked the art and i thought it was weird that disney was doing a show like this called gummy bears because the name like oh, it's a snack it's a candy yeah and then we're gonna make a show about bears that bounce after drinking magic potion and then everybody's so tried to cool though i mean that was it, the thing it was right. it was really weird and then as i got older i realized that i think the show was more like because disney couldn't acquire smurfs <laughs> so they we have to because ha and the smurf berries from gargamel wants to get the smurf berries well then right. you have to have some i can't remember the bad guy's name in gummy bears Bad guys want to acquire the magic potions from the gummy bears. Right. Like, I felt it was the same thing as I got older. It was just a random thing that stuck in my head over the years. Just to be clear, I'm not snubbing Andrew. We will get to talk about his random fandoms in a future episode. So, yeah, he'll get some double exposure here. Thank you, Andrew, for helping kick this off. Thank you, Corey, random dude for walking by my booth at SummerCon, I guess. And thanks to Woody Arnold with Cyber Symbiosis for talking with Northwest Nerd, relaying some insights into the DIY indie project scene. Like I said, Cyber Symbiosis, it has a Kickstarter going on right now. That is, if you are listening to this podcast shortly after its initial publication. So go check that out on Kickstarter. They have some cool kickbacks for folks who contribute to that. And that is going to do it for this episode of Northwest Nerd. Music in this episode was Hum OK by Gable. And Northwest Nerd's theme music is by the Hoot Hoots. Until next time, I'm Dyer Oxley, and this is Northwest Nerd. Northwest Nerd.